Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast. And in this one, we're going to give out our Astros 2021 year-end awards. And we'll preview the Panthers game with the Texans. Remember, that's a Thursday night game, so it's coming up tomorrow if you're downloading us on the day that we're releasing this. So keep that in mind. But before we fire things up, just a reminder that this show is brought to you by BetUS.com, America's favorite sports book, the NFL and college football are in full gear, which means the betting season, oh, it's really fun right now. You know how that goes. Not only is BetUS.com the place to bet on football, you can't just do that. You can just bet on any sport, really. And, and in just a few minutes, we'll remind you about our exclusive discount. It's a way to save money, support us, and maybe make a little money. Remember that? You can do that, too, over the next few months. So more on that soon. As always, I'm joined by my co-host and regular sidekick, a fellow H-Town sports junkie. And veteran journalist Stephen Kerr. The two of us have been doing this combined for 60 years in sports journalism. So we hope we bring a little bit to your sports party. And it's hard to believe, Stephen, there are just eight games left in the Astros season. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I, I have people tell me all the time, oh, baseball is so long. It's 162 games. It seems to go on forever. Well, not if you're a baseball fan like me, Robert. It, it goes by just, you know, snap your fingers, blink of an eye. And it's gone. And <laughs> that's what it feels like, you know, and, and especially coming off of last year where it was a 60 game season, you know, and then you go into this year where the full slate of 162 games, man, eight games left as we're recording this, of course, you know, by the time people listen to it, probably less than that. So, yeah, it's crazy. But we're, we're already getting toward the end. And, you know, we know the Astros are going to be in the postseason again. So the, the excitement is building. That's for sure. It's amazing how quickly the season goes when you have a good team. <laughs> well, yeah, that does make a difference. Now, obviously, if the Astros had had, you know, a long season and they were about to lose 100 games like uh, the Orioles and uh, the Diamondbacks for the other teams. Yeah, we probably wouldn't be having this conversation. Well, we could just wax poetically about the offense over the last few games and how they've looked. But, you know, you got to nitpick. And this is about trying to win a championship. And Steven... What do you want to do with Zach Granke right now? You know, it's such a hard question to answer, Robert. I mean, the, the obvious answer would be to put him in the bullpen, you know, when you come to the postseason. But, uh, I mean, the problem, that, and I think I've even said this before, is that Granke, it just it isn't geared toward coming out of the bullpen. You know, somebody like Jose Urquidy and Luis Garcia would be. I mean, uh, you know, the only thing I can think of is that you start Granke and have one of those two guys ready to piggyback him because he's probably not going to go very long. You know, that may be the scenario that they take. But, yeah, I mean, it, it, as nice as it would be to have Grinky coming out of the bullpen and piggybacking someone else, I just don't know if he's made that way and, and whether that would fit any better than just starting him and pray that he can go four innings and, you know, and the roof not cave in. I've said it all season long, and finally maybe people are starting to believe me. I mean, he's fourth starter material at best. He's not making guys miss bats. I keep bringing that up because that's so important in the playoffs. And if he's your third starter, he's going twice in a seven-game series, and I don't want him to go twice in a seven-game series, Stephen. No, I agree with you there. I, I think if you are going to make him a starter, you make him a fourth starter. Maybe it could be a spot start, depending on how the series is going. That I, I would be all for that. Yes, absolutely. But you know, to say that he's your number one, number two, or even number three, the way things have been going lately, 
No, I, I certainly agree with you on that, Robert. This Jose Siri guy, he's looking more and more legit, and you feel like they, they've got to figure out a way to make room for him on the roster next year, Stephen, but it's going to be tough if you're bringing back everybody because uh, how many outfielders are you willing to carry at this point? Because most of those guys can't play other positions, and we know you have Jordan and Brantley that you know are, are left fielders most likely, and a lot of times you want them at DH and you, you want them to rest their legs and all that sort of stuff, so... Uh, I, I hope they can figure out a way to, to, to bring back Jose Siri because I, I don't want to see that guy go anywhere. He is just so talented. Yeah, he really is. And, you know, the knock on him is just the strikeouts. Um, you know, he still needs to work on that. I think he, he's gotten better as the season's gone along in the minors. I mean, he was at a real torrid pace to probably set world records on strikeouts for most of the season. But he has trimmed that down. He still struck out quite a bit here in the majors. But, man, when he makes contact – he makes things happen, you know, and, and then his speed, of course, can't be discounted and uh, plays a really good center field, just like Jake Myers does. So, yeah, it's going to be an interesting battle, you know, and you even think about, well, who are you going to put on the playoff roster? You know, you, you want Jake Myers, Chaz McCormick, Jose Siri. I mean, you can't really have all of those guys on there, can you? We're going to figure out the playoff roster, I think, in the next show. That's going to be a real battle, not only – for the regular players and Marwin Gonzalez has stuck his nose into yeah, this. Yeah, you, you got to put him in there. Uh, but the pitchers too. I mean, that's yeah. a it's going to be difficult for uh Dusty and uh even Click I know is going to be involved with that, but that's going to be an interesting situation. But hey, we talked about it, we teased it. We got to talk about these Astros 2021 awards and you got the Emmys, the Tonys, the Grammys. So Steven, should we call these the Strozies? The Strozies. I love it. <laughs> the Strozy Awards. You know, I, I don't know. Awards, they're, they're always so hard to pick, Robert, because you, you want to do the old uh, give everybody a trophy thing and just make sure that everybody gets something. And, you know, in, in some of them, like the most valuable player, you know, a lot of the major awards, man, it's hard to pick because you just have so many good candidates. I think Milo would like that, though. The Strozzi, he likes sticking a Y on everything, right? <laughs> uh, he does the Strozzi, you know, yeah. Um, Holy Toledo is, you know, there's a Y in there somewhere. So, yeah, Milo's probably looking down on us saying, yeah, you guys did great. Beezy, baggy, you know, yeah, it was the whole. Donkey, yeah, I remember Richard Hidalgo, you know, played quite a while back. He used to call him Doggy, so there's another one. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I probably should start off with the smallest award and work my way up, but Let's get to the best picture Oscar of the Strozies right off the bat. And I want to do it this way because I feel like it, for me, it's obvious and we're going to find out for, for you, Stephen, but let, let, let's go through the candidates and Carlos Correa is number one, the team leader. He's been excellent offensively, defensively sports and 862 OPS, only 10 errors at shortstop, probably the most important defensive position besides the catcher. And he's just been incredible there. Important to note, Correa leads the team in games played, and he's played 10 more games than my second MVP candidate. We didn't know that was going to happen at the beginning of the year. <laughs> and Kyle Tucker is number two. And that's a little bit of a surprise as well, because with all the bats in this lineup, he's he's your, your second MVP. He's on this list. And unless something dramatic happens in the last eight games, Tucker's going to lead the team in OPS. Currently, it's at 9-11. 27 home runs, 13 steals, great right field, only one error. We never thought that this was going to be Kyle as a defensive player coming up. 
uh, just watching him early on in his career, but he's really turned himself into a solid defensive player. Third on the list, Ryan Presley. What can you say? You know, he's held the bullpen together, together all, arguably the most consistent pitcher on the entire staff. His number is 59 games, 25 saves, only two blown saves, 0.92 whip, 2.23 ERA, 198 batting average against, rock solid, the heart of the bullpen. And then number four on the list, Jordan Alvarez leads the team in home runs and RBIs, the power bat. He's second to Tucker in OPS at 884. You can't ask much more from your cleanup hitter most of the season than what Jordan Alvarez has done. And Steven, who's your guy? First of all, just for the record, you know, my list, I, I just took the three. I know you had, I saw your list, Robert, but just for the record, we did not share who our winners are together before the show. So nope. that just... Thought I'd get that out of the way so that everybody knows, oh, y'all looked at each other's winners. No, we shared our list, but we did not share the winners. I, I actually had only three candidates for each award, and uh, mine were Correa and Tucker. Uh, I had Alvarez in there uh, just because when Jordan's in there, you know, things happen. So my winner is Carlos Correa. I mean, when you talk about a team MVP, you talk about a guy who's – he has the numbers offensively. He has the numbers defensively. But, you know, to me, an MVP, it's it's more than just the numbers. You've got to go to the intangibles and the leadership qualities that Carlos Correa brings to this team. You know, and, it, and it's sad to think about that this may be the last season we'll see him in an Astros uniform. More, more than likely, that's going to happen unless something really crazy happens during the offseason. But the, you you can't discount that. I think that showed up. In the postseason last year, Robert, you know, how many times did Carlos Correa come to the mound, you know, when Brent Strom or, you know, Martin Maldonado came? Correa's right there in the middle. He's doing that again this year. His leadership qualities, offensive numbers, defensive numbers, to me, it, it's Correa. And, you know, you were talking about most games played, Robert. Who would have thought that a couple of years ago when you and I were even talking about should the Astros trade Correa before he becomes a free agent? Not so much because he wants a lot of money, but because of the injury situation with his back problems and things like that, it's crazy. Nobody's talking about that now. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's that's you know th that's the thing I think that really solidified his MVP for me this year is the fact that, you know, usually we're, we're used to him missing 30 games a season or 40 games a season, but it didn't happen. He said he wanted to be out there as as much as he's ever been out there. He He's followed through with that. And the other thing is, and you just can't say it enough, leader, 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 leader. That's the guy that stirs the drink for the Astros these days. Sorry, Jose Altuve. Sorry, <laughs> everybody else that thinks they're, they're that guy. He yeah, is yeah. the man. Yeah, and honestly, you know, I went back and forth between him Tucker and Alvarez, I, you know, and you could throw Altuve in there, absolutely, and nobody would, uh, nobody would laugh at you. And you have an even Presley, as you talked about. I mean, there are so many candidates that that could won, win the award. But as I said, I go beyond the numbers when I look at something like an MVP because it encompasses so many different things. Yeah, I, I guess you were right, Robert. Carlos Correa is our obvious choice because we both, well, we both had him on the list. While we're in this zone. Let's hit the offensive MVP because it's the same candidates and your same candidates that you said were for the MVP would be offensive player of the year, at least I mean, offensive MVP, at least, you know, Correa, Tucker and Jordan, unless, unless you have somebody I don't know. Well, no, I, I did have somebody. I, I had uh, Tucker. I had Brantley in there and I had Alvarez uh, in this list. No Correa. 
Well, yeah, you got to put Correa in there. But as I said, I just did the top three. And since Correa got the MVP award, I, I didn't want to – I mean, I, I wanted to put Brantley in there because you talk about Mr. Consistency on offense. You got to put Brantley in the in the conversation. But, yeah, I mean, you, you certainly can't argue that Correa is in there. This comes down for me to Jordan or Tucker in a super tight race. But what separated them was the clutch factor. And that is always a thing that I look at. And Jordan has a 967 OPS with runners in scoring position. Tucker, only 814 OPS. So Jordan is my guy, Stephen. He's the dude. Well, I'm certainly not going to argue with you, Robert, even though I do have a different choice. I went with Tucker. I just, because of just the breakout season that he's had, we, I don't think we were expecting this necessarily. We were expecting great things, sure. But the way Kyle Tucker has come out and, and done what he's done. But yeah, you know, if you're talking about clutch, and I, I actually have a clutch award that we'll get to. But yeah, between Tucker and Alvarez, man, it's it's a tough choice. But if you look at the numbers, if you're just looking at the numbers, then yeah, your your pick of Alvarez, I certainly can't argue with that. Defensive MVP, the candidates, Correa, Maldonado, Yuli Gurriel, always underrated Yuli Gurriel over at first. How many runs does he save with digging stuff no. out there? And then yeah. Altuve, who, by the way, just real quietly might have had his best defensive season, only six errors, plenty of spectacular plays. I mean, after everything that happened last year, you're like, oh my goodness, what, what are we going to get from Altuve defensively? What do you think, Stephen, about this one? Well, uh, mine, of course, as I said, I, I just had uh, three candidates. So, you know, you have to leave somebody out, I guess. I had Gurriel, Maldonado, and Correa. Um, I, I had to give it, honestly, um, it was, a again, very tough choice. Yeah, Gurriel, how many runs did he save? And I think I kind of went back and forth between him and Correa. But, man, I, I had to give it to Correa. Just uh, how many great plays he makes at that position. That is such a tough position. I mean, they all are, but man, some of the plays, the dazzling plays he makes hard to ignore. So I went with Correa on this one. I'll ditto exactly what you said. He's a highlight machine this year. I, I don't think any of the fans would, would argue this. I don't think the broadcasters, I just feel like that's as much of a slam dunk as any award that we're going to give out in this one. No, I, I certainly think so. And you know what, any, you can't discount the, the number of runs Maldonado has probably saved the way he cuts down uh, runners. At, at second base and beyond. So uh, you can't go wrong with any of these guys, really. Who's your pitcher of the year? And in this one, I've just got three candidates, McCullers, Presley, and Luis Garcia. Is that your guys? Yeah, those were my guys. We, we had uh, all three of the candidates, same ones. And uh, I went with Presley on this one. I mean, honestly, you know, you, I mean, you said it earlier when, when you were talking about MVP. I mean, if he's not the MVP, He's got to be the pitcher of the year on this staff because if you talk about consistency and and just, you know, the saves, how many games he has saved and, you know, literally and figuratively and, and being the most consistent pitcher on this staff, I don't care if he only pitches one inning every, you know, couple of days or so. He is the most consistent guy. And, and to me, he is the pitcher, the, the staple of this Astros staff, especially when, you know, you look at the, the starters Every one of them has had their issues at some point in time. You know, Presley's had a couple of hiccups, but for the for the most part, 99% of the time, he has been rock solid. So he is my pitcher of the year, Robert. We've already gone through Presley's stats. I just want to throw out McCullers and Garcia's stats. McCullers 12 and 4, 
311 ERA, 1.25 whip, just a 210 batting average against. Garcia, 11 and 7, 337 ERA, so a, a smidge higher. 116 whip, a smidge lower. 228 batting average against, smidge higher. It's like you're trying to cut with a knife between McCullers and Garcia. So I'm with you, Stephen. Let's just take the easy way out and give it to Ryan Presley. <laughs> yeah, because gosh, I'd hate to walk away from you know, this uh, quote-unquote awards ceremony and saying, what? Ryan Presley didn't win anything? Yeah, but yeah, I I had to give it to Presley. Got some more awards coming up, but we got to do a quick preview of the Texans game tomorrow night. Tyrod Taylor and Nico Collins placed on the injured list, Stephen, so they'll be out at least a month. We went from feeling like we had to see Davis Mills play some games this year to see if you need to draft a quarterback. It's like, oh, you got to play Davis Mills to saying, but wait a second. I kind of like watching Tyrod, and I kind of like watching the Texans have a shot at win- winning a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I, I think, honestly, if, if everybody was really honest with themselves, Robert, if you're a fan, if you're a real fan of a team, you want them to win. You, you're not going to root against your own team just to get a draft choice for the next year, really. I, I mean, to me, it's the, the, the Fairweather fans are the ones that do that. I want to see the Texans win. I dreaded the season coming into it because I felt like that's what was going to happen. But if you're watching this team and the way they're rallying around David Culley and you know the, the way they even rallied, albeit a small sample size, when Taylor went out and Davis Mills came in, you know they, they didn't just lay down and die, as Justin Britt said. They're, they're going to keep fighting. Then you've got to cheer for them. You've got to want them to succeed. And you've got to want them. You've got to want Davis Mills to succeed as well. They've lost one shoulder injury wide receiver. And Nico Collins, they get one back, Anthony Miller. So you get a chance to see him. Uh, that's going to be important because I would assume that the Amendola injury is still going to be an issue this week. I mean, I, in, a, in a three or four day turnaround, I, I mean, I, I can't see anything there. And and then, Stephen, we, we, we have to mention where the Panthers are at this position right now. And are they a team that looks like it's an easy win over the Texans with Davis Mills at quarterback? Well, Sam Darnold is now their quarterback former Jets quarterback, and he is completing 68.5% of his passes, 295 yards per game, three touchdowns, one interception. He's been pretty good. Yeah, he has been pretty good. Uh, You know, you could say about Sam Darnold, well, he played for the Jets. What do you expect? So, (laughs) I mean, you go to a new team and uh, yeah, maybe it was the system he was in. But yeah, I mean, against the Saints, he was 26 of 38 for 305 yards. He had a couple of scores. Uh, so Sam Darnold is, has been, I would say, quite a surprise, you know, as far as the Panthers are concerned. You know, they are 2-0 and coming into this game, and their defense, man, the, the Texans' offensive line, it better be ready. They have 10 sacks, Robert, 10 sacks and three picks in two games, and they limited the Saints. I know they don't have Drew Brees, but they're still the Saints. The Saints only managed 128 total yards on offense, so... Uh, yeah, the Texans are going to have their hands full defensively and offensively with the Panthers. You know, and I mean, it's gosh, it's Thursday night football. So you don't know what to expect. You know, it's kind of like Monday night football. You think, oh, the odds are just so stacked against the Texans right now. But strange things happen on primetime, Robert. We know I mean, we could go on forever about some of the crazy games that happen. Davis Mills has been pretty good at getting rid of the ball early, although late in that game Sunday, he just did not see the rush coming from his basically from his regular side, not the blind side. And he just got, got crushed. 
and fumbled it. Luckily, the Texans recovered there, but he's going to have to get rid of the ball early. Anthony Miller is it's a big deal because that he's back because they need somebody that can get open quickly in the slot. And that's kind of what they got Anthony Miller uh, in here for. That's why they made the trade. Christian McCaffrey. I don't know how he compares, how you'd compare him to the Browns running backs. He's averaging uh, so far this year, 3.8 yards per carry. I don't put him quite as good as those other two guys at breaking tackles, but he's super quick. Although I think, Stephen, personally, that the Texans are better with quick guys than guys that can break tackles. The Texans just don't have a lot of size in their front seven, if you know what I mean. Yeah, well, we certainly saw that in the Browns game, didn't we? I mean, uh, both of those guys, Chubb and Hunt, I mean, they were breaking tackles left and right. And, yeah, you talk about the quick guys. The the thing about McCaffrey, though, is he can be so dangerous catching the ball, too. Now, that's the one thing you have to, to watch for. At least, you know, the good news is there's only one of him instead of three that you had with the Browns uh, because you had the guy Feldman, who, as we mentioned, was a sixth-round draft choice. He was making some plays, too. So, yeah, if Christian McCaffrey, you know, is is the one guy certainly to worry about. I think as far as Davis Mills is concerned, you know, my biggest concern, Robert, is is yours as well. you got to get rid of the ball quicker. But the problem with him, you know, if you do that, if you start hurrying, I mean, he's he's had a tendency to be so inaccurate, you know, throwing the ball behind receivers, having passes, you know, being close to picked off and then, you know, had that one interception. And even during camp and then the preseason, you know, that was the big bugaboo for him is just throwing the ball when he probably shouldn't have and just being too quick, maybe. So, yeah, I'm definitely worried. Um, I'm just not secure as far as what we're going to see from Davis Mills. We just don't know. You know, he's good at bouncing back from mistakes, but the problem is if you make too many mistakes, you're not going to win the game. I feel like I kind of know where he's going to be in this game. Um, You know, this is going to be his first start. He has a whole three days to prepare. I'm not super confident in in, in what Davis Mills is going to bring you. The Texans, according to BetUS, our friends over there, they're an eight-point underdog, Stephen. What do you do here? And I should also mention the over-under is 43, which means anything more than six touchdowns and you'll win on the over. No Tyrod Taylor to run up the points this game. So that's an interesting bet, too. Yeah, that is an interesting bet. I'm not sure I would have picked that high on the over-under. But, as yeah, as far as the eight points, Robert, yeah, I might have to take them this week. I, I mean, I just, you know, it's funny because the Texans were, what, 13.5-point underdogs in the Cleveland game uh, with Tyrod Taylor. They're only eight without him. I mean, I understand the opponent comes into play here. And the Panthers may be two and zero, but you know we're still not sure what what they're going to bring to the table over the long haul. But yeah, I think in this game I'm going to take the eight. I got to take the Panthers with that number, and I just because I just don't have yeah. no confidence in Davis Mills in this game. And you talked about that Panthers defense, and if they heckle him like I expect them to heckle him, he's going to make mistakes, and and that's going to lead to points. Yeah, that that is my biggest concern is that I mean he makes mistakes under normal circumstances. You know, if he's going to be pressured like that the whole night, and as you said, having to get rid of the ball quickly, yeah, that that's what worries me more than anything. And and I think what will keep the Texans in the game is if, you know, the running game can be at, at least decent enough to play some ball control. And, and if Davis Mills can utilize the tight ends, utilize the short game, really, I think it's going to be his best bet, Robert. And if the Texans' defense can make some big plays of their own, that's where I'm going to feel like the Texans are going to be in the game, not because Davis Mills is in there. And if you're going to make a bet on this game, you're going to do it with our friends 
at BetUS.com because you got to pick the sports book with integrity and longevity. It's not just football that they do. They take action on any sport. They're a pioneer in the sports book industry. Three decades now with a diehard customer fan base. Great mobile platform. Super easy with full betting options. Log on to BetUS.com or call 800-792-3887. That's 800-79-BETUS. We tell tell you about it every week, but you know it's it's where um, you can really have great fun doing uh, some action on betting, and you can save some money when you sign up using our promo code HST125. Redeem a 125% sign up bonus on your initial hundred dollar deposit. The code again HST125 to help our podcast. Also, please sign up using either the BetUS link on our pinned post at the top of our Twitter page, or go to our website HoustonSportsTalk.net. And click on the BetUS icon. Follow my lead. Go to BetUS.com. It's your phone, online, and social sports betting option with integrity and longevity. BetUS, you bet, you win, you get paid. And mm-hmm. hey, Stephen, uh, do, do you think BetUS has uh, us as the favorites to win the American League? Are the Astros the favorites? What do you think? What do you think's going on over there? Uh, if you're talking about the AL pennant, I... I'd have to say, I'd have to say, probably not. But wrong, wrong. Something tells me they did. Yeah, I, I was thinking that as soon as I said that, it's like, yeah, I'm probably going to be wrong here. Astros are the favorites, plus two hundred. Rays and White Sox right behind at plus three fifty. So, if you believe in your Astros, uh, you might want to get on that. Um, but the numbers aren't g- great for betting. You might want to go with the Rays <laughs> if you want to well, m- maybe take yeah. a team that uh, is going to be paying off a little bit more the favorites to win the world series who do you think bet us has there well the obvious answer would be the giants but something tells me that's not the right answer either oh it's the hated dodgers at plus 275 i figured that's what i figured and you know getting back to the white Sox, i mean they would be the astros opponent right now if the playoffs started today so one of those is going to go out the window almost uh, right off the bat the astros are the second favorite to win the world series they're plus 400 Hmm. so they're just behind the dodgers that's interesting that i have to say that's interesting now you know if if you capitalize on it that's some serious money you'd be winning for sure what do you think the betting action has been on the strozzi steven are these odds up anywhere uh you know i think we're i think we're making our bets right i think we'd make some serious money if uh we <laughs> laid that down oh yeah well we would make the money because we know the answer to the, to the yeah because these... we know what the answer is yeah <laughs> we 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 can cheat <laughs> we can do that who's your rookie of the year three candidates i've got uh luis garcia Chaz mccormick jake myers and steven it feels like one of the easier choices for me yeah this is one where i think for me it was the obvious i, I mean Chaz McCormick has made some things happen. Jake Myers is making some things happen. But, you know, I, I look at Jake Myers especially. He hasn't played a full season. You know, Chaz McCormick has played most of the season. But the guy who has been there basically from start to finish is Luis Garcia. And he's my choice. I mean, he's the guy. I, I mean, he's got some serious stuff, Robert. You know, the endurance issues of all the innings and so forth notwithstanding. I mean, he's the guy that, uh, to me, just really stood out for this entire season. Absolutely. He's done the heavy lifting as a starting pitcher and playing the entire season. Unlike the other two guys, he's the rookie of the year. It's interesting because McCormick and Myers, I looked at the law firm uh, before we got on the podcast, Stephen, and the two guys basically have the same offensive numbers. So I don't know if uh, either one of them would be like the obvious second candidate 
Uh, although I, you might give it to Jazz just because he's played more of the season. Yeah, you you probably have to put him second. But you know, if I was looking at the long haul, the big picture, uh, you got to put Jake Myers in there as a rising star. If we had a rising star award, I think it'd be Jake Myers. I guess we didn't <laughs> we didn't think about that. Yeah, but I mean, Jazz McCormick, he's he's made some big offensive plays. Certainly, some home runs when he at least expected them. And he's played a pretty decent outfield, really. I mean, he's gotten better, I think, as the season goes along. So I think with those two guys, you know, if they can keep consistently remain, you know, moving up the ladder, basically, it's going to make that Astros outfield a whole lot more attractive than it was at the start of the season. Remember how many questions we had, Robert, going in? It's like, oh, my gosh, the Astros don't have any outfielders. You know, they have Brantley and they have Tucker. Maybe you have Alvarez. And then beyond that, who do you have? Well, you know, at least this season, we we don't we we have answers to those questions. Yeah, Michael Brantley's departure after next year, I don't think he's going to be with the Astros beyond next year. He's getting into his mid thirties. He's got one more year left on his deal. It it makes you feel better moving forward, and you know, it gives you another guy or two that if you're combining some players in a deal, you can afford to give up maybe a Chaz McCormick in a in a, in a trade this off season. Uh, if you're going to get somebody that you need in another area of the team and, you know, the bullpen is something that I think moving forward, they still need to work on. Uh, let's get to the comeback player of the year. There are three really strong candidates, in my opinion. Number one, Jordan, kind of in a category of his own because he played just two games last year. But this award, you know, it m- might be how you base a comeback because the other two candidates... Uh, they just stunk last year. That's why they're comeback yeah. player candidates. And I'm talking about Altuve and Guriel. Altuve, 629 OPS last year, 843. 214-point jump as we speak, eight games to go in the season. He also forgot how to throw to first base in the playoffs, as you might remember. Yep. So you got to factor yep. in his defense making a comeback as well. Yuli went from 658 to 848, 190-point jump. How do you see this one, Stephen? Man, if if I thought the MVP award was tough, Robert, I'll be honest. This this was the tougher award for me. I mean, it, it came down, you know, Alvarez certainly is, is, you know, Garner's consideration. Absolutely. But to me, it came down to Altuve and Gurriel. And, you know, I mean, I looked at it with, with Altuve, as you mentioned. It, it wasn't just the offensive numbers. It was the defensive numbers and how scared we were. You know, are we seeing another Steve Sachs or, you know, uh, Knobloch, Chuck Knobloch, you know, guys like that that suddenly just forgot how to throw? You know, and how many pitchers have you seen? Uh, Steve Blass and numerous others, Rick Ankiel. So, you know, Altuve certainly had to be up there. Guriel, I, I mean, the the you know, the offensive numbers that he's put up this year fairly consistently and just, boy, he looked so woeful in the postseason I don't know, Robert. I went back and forth to this, and I may be kicking myself, but I had to give this one to Gurriel. And just barely nudging out Altuve by barely even a fraction. I gave it to Altuve, and the reason I did, you mentioned uh, the defense being something that we were really worried about, and, and I just had to factor that in. I, I just didn't know what we were going to get from Altuve. Yuli, I could, there was at least something I could see in my head where okay, he just got in a slump and, and you're doing a two-month season and, and you get into a slump and you start to panic and you can't get out of it. Whereas Altuve, there was a lot of stuff that I just thought, what's going on in his brain? And with Jordan, 
you know, it's weird because I, he, he didn't play. So it, 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 do you give it to somebody that didn't play, but he still is going to be great hitter no matter what, what you do there? Yeah. So Altuve was my, I, I differed on you on, on this one. Yeah. And again, I can't argue with that. I just barely nudged out. And as far as Alvarez, I, I think we expected Alvarez to do what he's doing. It's not like it's a big surprise. It would, you know, the big question with him is could he play the outfield on a consistent basis? And that's something that I think has been a pleasant surprise, Robert. I, I think he has come in and done that for the most part. I think he's even gotten better. And I, I think even, you know, his base running has been pretty decent. You know, that was the other thing is, well, how well is he going to run coming off of two knee surgeries? So, you know, Alvarez certainly is worthy of consideration just because there were some question marks, although they had nothing to do with his offensive capability. I think we expected that. It was the other things like the defense, you know, like whether he could play the outfield and, you know, what would his base running or just, you know, running in general, covering the outfield be like. You and I didn't talk about this, but you made me think of something. I don't think we had a most improved category, but if you did have a most improved, would it be Jordan or would it be Kyle Tucker? Because I I think those are the candidates. Luis Garcia was improved, but he just got more playing time. He always looked good. Uh, I feel like the, the the two big candidates are Kyle Tucker, and he's just been so incredible since. If you go yeah. to back to early May, he started off a little bit slumpy, and I, I think it was because he was just hitting it at guys. Some some bad luck was playing a, a role there. But you look at his defense and Jordan's defense. Who would you pick between those two? Boy, that yeah, that's pretty tough too. I, I think I would go with Tucker. I, I just think I've, I've been so pleasantly surprised to see what he's done, especially offensively, but also the outfield. I mean, he's really turned into quite an outfielder. Now, he's always been a smart base runner. You know, he may not get 60 steals a season or anything like that, but the way he runs the bases, I think, is is something I've always been impressed with. You know, you, you can be a great base runner without having the best speed on the team, and I think Kyle Tucker puts himself in that category, but, man, the offensive numbers and just the way he has come on defensively. Uh, but as we said, you know, Jordan has, has been a pleasant surprise defensively in the sense that, you know, he's been able to play a pretty decent outfield. So, uh, but I, I think I would give this one to Tucker. The last award is kind of your wild card, if you will. It's the surprise of the year. So this could be player or storyline. You can go in any direction. I, I just kind of wanted to leave something open for you, Stephen. Something maybe we haven't talked about or uh, another angle to look at the Astros for this year. So I'll let you lead off with this one. What's your surprise of the year? Well, you know, I actually, I thought more of a comeback player of the year. Um, But if you go with a surprise thing, I I think you'd have to say the way Framber Valdez came back so quickly from from that injury that, you know, he he should have been out most of the summer. Uh, I mean, I think that really was the big surprise. Now, has he been the Framber that he was last year? No, he has not. But the fact that he's even come back, I mean, you need Framber to be Framber, especially when you get in the postseason. But I don't think any of us were expecting you know, him to come back the quite as soon as he did. And he's had some fits and starts, sure. But just the fact that he was able to come back from a broken finger, you know, a broken ring finger as quickly as he did, I think that was one of my biggest surprises of the year. See, we just had a comeback player of the year award, Stephen. Did you not hear what we were talking about? I mean, come <laughs> on, man. <laughs> not to come back. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of the Mr. Clutch award is, is my other award. Oh, I was okay. looking in the wrong column. Yeah, I have a, I have an award. I don't think you have this, Robert, but we can get to that in a minute. Okay, so let's look at some of the ideas that I had. Well, Correa being totally healthy, which we've already talked about, 
and Luis Garcia being a just rock solid starter. Those are two storylines that you couldn't see. Uh, and, and, and between those two, I guess I would lean towards Garcia. But let me just go totally off the radar. And, and this relates to going into the playoffs. And just uh, for me, I'm so surprised and in a bad way, I guess. Well, not, not I guess. I know in a bad way by Christian Javier. He is just looked like not the same guy that we saw last year. He looked like somebody that was going to turn into a great pitcher. Now, he, he gets forced into the bullpen by situation. So maybe it, it was a loss of confidence, a loss of rhythm. But boy, he's giving up home runs all the time now, especially if you look in his last few games. He can't find the strike zone. Uh, of all of the young guys, all the young pitchers that we saw last year, and I was super high on Anoli Paredes, so that was a big disappointment, uh, what's happened to him this year. But uh, Christian Javier, it's it's a surprise in a bad way, Stephen. I, I'll just go the opposite direction. Yeah, I, I think you have to say that. And I just wonder, though, how much of it is him and how much of it is that, you know, again, like Josh James, uh, you know, is another pitcher that the Astros just can't seem to figure out where they want to put him. And I, you know, you could easily sit here and say, well, you know what? This is the major leagues. You, you do, you, you play the cards that are dealt you and you come through when you get the opportunities. I can't argue with that, but I just wonder is, is Christian Javier, you know, in that category where, you know, they, they need to make a decision. Is he going to be a starter? Is he going to be a reliever? And let's, you know, let's let him go with that for the long haul. You know, the biggest problem with him being a starter, he just didn't have the, he didn't have the endurance. He just couldn't go very far. Of course, you could say that about many of the Astros starters, but Javier is young enough that I, I think he still could have some upside and turn that around. But, you know, they've clearly had him out of the bullpen most of the season, and that, that seems to be where he will be now. But he just hasn't adapted to it, apparently. And maybe it was a deal where coming off the short season and he's such a guy that you look towards in the future as a, as a starter uh, for many years to come that, okay, let's move him into the bullpen. He doesn't have to give as many innings and let, let's maybe save his arm a little bit because we don't know how he's going to make that jump as a power pitcher from, you know, just that 60 game schedule to 162 games. But I mean, I guess you could say the same thing about Luis Garcia, but the difference between him and Garcia, I think is just the fact that the, the expectation as a potential number one guy that you saw with Christian Javier is not the same as Luis Garcia, but uh, hopefully he gets that turned around. I can tell you, some things that I was not surprised about with the Astros this year, Stephen. I'm not surprised that their offense is the best in baseball. I'm not surprised that they're dominating the AL West again. I'm not surprised the Astros are near the top of the American League. We knew this lineup was deep. We knew they had talented pitchers. Everybody else said, oh, well, the Astros, uh, at some point, this is going to start slipping and whatever. But as an Astro fan, I, I wasn't a believer in that. And I might not have predicted greatness for them this year, but it was probably more out of trying not to jinx them than anything. <laughs> yeah, that's probably a smart move, Robert. And I think we even felt that way after the departure of George Springer. I mean, obviously, a, a big hole in your lineup there. But gosh, when, when you have guys like Correa, Altuve, and Gurriel, you know, we the big question is, you know, can Gurriel come back? Well, yes, he's done that. Alex Bregman, I mean, he's he's been injured quite a bit, but he's still been putting up Bregman-like numbers, you know, at some points during the season when they've needed him to. Kyle Tucker has really come on. Jordan has been Jordan. So, yeah, you look up and down this lineup, Robert, it really is no surprise. I think the biggest concern for me from the offense is it seems to either be feast or famine 
You know, you're either going to put up 12 runs a game or you're going to score zero or one, you know, for a few games. You know, when you get in the postseason, it pretty much evens out. You, you, you're probably not going to score 12 runs a game during the postseason, more than likely not. So it, it's going to come down to probably somewhere in the middle if the Astros just don't completely fall apart on offense and stink during the postseason. I, I still feel good about them heading in. It's it's really the, the pitching, I think, I think is going to be the biggest question mark for me going in that. There's a lot of things to talk about with what the Astros are going to do in the postseason, and we're going to get to that in the coming week or two because it's it's coming up on us fast. Like I said, just eight games left, and we're, we're going to be there. Uh, we've talked a lot about the current Astros, but we always love to go into the history banks and Steven's segment this week in Astros history. Let's hear it. All right, this week in Astros history. Well, it was in 2015. On September the 17th, it's funny, Robert, you mentioned Milo Hamilton earlier in the show, and you had no idea that I had this on my list, but kind of a sad way to start off. We lost Milo on September 17th, 2015. Hall of Fame broadcaster, he passed away at the age of 88. He was the voice of the Astros from 1985 to 2012. And, and you know, I mean, Milo had career that just spanned like six decades, it seemed like forever, you know, with the Braves and the, the, the White Sox and just different, so many different teams. But the Astros were, you know, they were in there from 85 to 2012. That's, that's a long time really anywhere, but especially even in his later years, Milo could still bring it. You know, I, I will say, um, Harry Carey, I, I couldn't say the same thing about Harry Carey should have been taken off long before he was. I mean, he basically broadcast until he died. Milo, I mean, you know, the last couple of years, yeah, he did struggle a little bit, but he still had that Milo touch, and it was just very sad to lose him on September 17, 2015. I got a trivia question for you. What is Milo's first name? And it's not Milo. Oh, I knew you were going to ask me that, and I know it's not his first name. It, it is not. Leland Milo Hamilton. Yep. That's it. Leland Milo. Yeah, I think I think if it were me, I'd go with Milo too for Leland. I'm not sure I would I don't I don't even know too many guys named Leland. I think I've heard the name as a last name, you know? You think of Jim Leland, uh, but not as a first name, no. Milo, if people don't remember, got into the Ford Frick Award area of the Baseball Hall of Fame. Uh, basically into Cooperstown in 1992. He was an Iowa kid, University of Iowa, served in the U.S. Navy during World War II. Did, do you remember him talking about that at all, Stephen? Oh, he talked about that quite a bit. Yeah, he did. And in fact, I mean, he made his first journey, you know, in radio when he was in the armed forces. And it, it all started from there. I think, he, you know, he was scared to death and didn't know what he was going to say when he first opened the mic. Well, you wouldn't know it from listening to him all these years. You know, and, and Robert, the one thing I would say about Mal Hamilton that I always appreciated, his his enthusiasm was obvious. I, I mean, that that's a given. But what I also appreciated about Milo is that he gave you details that he knew you needed to know because it obviously was a radio broadcast. It, you know, you weren't watching it on television. You wanted to know necessarily if, if the batter was right-handed, left-handed. Where are the fielders positioned? You know, where is this guy? And just all the little details, the little picture details, and Milo somehow managed to get it in in the short span, you know, between pitches and so forth. That's what I really enjoyed about listening to him is you knew exactly what was going on when the game was going on. 
Was he a homer? Well, sure he was. But that, you know what? That's who Milo was. And, you know, if it's if it's your home team that he's doing it for, you don't mind it so much. Yeah, I didn't mind him being a homer necessarily. I just felt like sometimes what he would do that would annoy me was he would be a homer to the point where what he was saying was not what was going on in the game. He would over get over enthused about a particular right. play that I'm just like, I, I, I can watch it on TV and I go, wait a second, that's... That's a, just a routine play, and he'd make it into his old, you know, whatever, four-star. Yeah, he put a blue star on that. Well, you know, a lot of that, Robert, is that I think the blue star thing was more of, you know, it could make an impact on the game later. It's, it's like, okay, watch out for this. This might be a factor. But you're right. And maybe over the top, maybe he made plays sound greater than they were. But as far as his detail, you can't, you can't beat it. You know, he worked alongside Harry Carey and Jack Buck going back to 1950, 1954, but he was let go after just a year because they wanted a spot in the booth for Joe Garagiola. So, you know, thanks to Milo, we got a, a Joe Garagiola, I think is one of the best voices in all of baseball history. And then he works alongside Jack Brickhouse in Chicago with the yep. Cubs. Um, just a, a storied career. I mean, we know he called the Hank Aaron home run that uh, broke Babe Ruth's record. Um, you know, but he had, been with so many different organizations before he came to the Astros. Uh, so it, it just wasn't about the Astros. He'd been around for a long time. Oh, absolutely. And But it's just nice to know that the Astros actually have one of the greatest broadcasters of all time. You know, they, they did have. And, and for a long period, it wasn't like he just, you know, not like some players where he came for a couple of years until he got another job and then left. I mean, he planted his roots. And, you know, once he got here, he planted himself in Houston and stayed till the end. All right, what's up next on This Week in Astros History? All right, September 15th, 1985, Jose Cruz collects his 2,000th career hit, and the Astros edge the Padres 2-1 to one in the Dome. And, of course, if you wonder why did I draw out Jose Cruz, well, of course, you know, if, if you were an Astros fan back then, J. Fred Duckett, the, the public address announcer, always did that. When Jose came to bat, and of course the fans responded in kind, and you know Jose Cruz, got to put him in there when you're talking about Astros memories, and you know his son Jose Cruz Jr. of course is now a uh, college baseball coach at Rice, so uh, you know kudos to the Cruz family on many fronts. My favorite Jose Cruz memory was going back to the mid '80s, and I went to a game that was a game of the week game with the Astros and Cardinals, and the Astros were behind going into the ninth inning. And I had been needing to go to the bathroom for a while, Stephen. And I uh -oh. ran to the bathroom. This was between, I think, the top of the ninth and the bottom of the ninth. Went as fast as I could. I came back and I'm in the, you know, where the concessions are. I'm in that sort of area, the concourse. And I look up at, I think I looked up and, and Cruz was swinging and the ball gets hit and I'm like, oh no. And I run as fast as I can back to my seat. And I, I, I think I got there just as the ball was going over the wall for the Astros to win the game. Boy, you would have really been kicking yourself if you had missed it by like another half second. And you probably would have, Robert. That's a great memory. What's your next uh, big This Week in Astros history moment? All right. This is my last one. And this is something I honestly did not know, Robert. I learned, you know, I, I learned something when I look up information for this. The reason I included it is just what an oddball thing this is. 
and it occurred on September the 15th, 1971. Larry Yount, yes, I said Larry Yount, the older brother of Hall of Famer Robin Yount, made his Major League debut for the Astros in the ninth inning in a game against the Braves. Well, actually, Robert, let me correct myself. He almost made his Major League debut. Larry Yount was warming up in the bullpen to come in in the ninth inning, and his elbow stiffens up on him, and he has to leave without coming in and facing a batter. And here's the crazy thing, Robert. He never appears in another Major League game. That's it. He holds the distinction of being the only pitcher to be credited for appearing in a game without facing a batter. And, and the reason they, they actually counted him being in the game is because he had already been announced as the pitcher coming in. And once you're announced, you basically get credit for playing in that game, even if you didn't do anything. But Larry Young, you know, he warms up. He's about to make his Major League debut. He gets injured, and he never pitches again. He, he does stay in the Astros organization. He gets sent back to the minors, and he gets traded in 1974 for Willie Howard. You remember Wilbur Howard, but he never pitches in a Major League game after that night. How crazy is that, Robert? I'm glad you brought that story up because Brian McTaggart did a fantastic feature, and I implore every Astros fan, every baseball fan that's listening to this, to go read that feature about Larry Yount and what happened and what happened in his life and how his connection with his brother was over the years. His brother uh, was younger. He was, uh, of course, Robin Yount, you mentioned the the great Hall of Famer, 3,000 hits, and Robin Yount, who was inducted into the wasn't he inducted in the hall of fame the same year that nolan ryan was wasn't in that yeah, right? pretty close anyway yeah yeah i think i think they got in at the same time along with uh it was i think it was nolan george brett and, and yount were all uh the same class the 99 class if i remember correctly but uh yount brings him up robin yount does in his speech and how he influenced his career and you know what he did for him but i mean there's so i i can get way into the weeds on this one but just go you know, look it up. Google Brian McTaggart and Larry Young. It's a great story. Yeah, it really is a great story. I mean, and you think about how sad it is that the guy, how close the guy came to coming in a game and he gets injured and doesn't even get to pitch. And that was it. But as you said, there's so much more to that story, Robert, that, uh, yeah, you, you definitely want to go read that. And it, as I said, it was such an oddity that <laughs> most people wouldn't even, I didn't even know Larry Young played for the Astros until I looked this up. It was I want to say it was the year before I started following the team. It was in 1971 that that happened. But, yeah, quite a story. I felt that was a pretty good way to end this week in Astros history. I do have one more award, Robert, that I need to come back to That, as far as the Astro Awards go, if I could. Sure. Um, I, I don't know that you had this, but I had a Mr. Clutch Award. And let me tell you, I went back and forth and back and forth on this one. And, I, you know, my, my candidates were Yuli Gurriel. Carlos Correa and Jose Altuve, pretty obvious. I mean, you know, as far as Gurriel is concerned, the guy's got like a 500 or something batting average, you know, just a ridiculous batting average with a bases loaded lifetime. I mean, it's crazy. You talk about a clutch guy. And then Correa and Altuve speak to themselves. I gave this one to Altuve, um, part, you know, partly for obvious reasons. But the other part is, man, you know, I got to give the guy some kind of an award if I if I left him out of MVP or, you know, offensive, defensive, comeback player, he's got to have an award. You, you can't have an Astro award without having Jose Altuve. 
But man, has this guy been clutch or what, Robert? Well, the thing that you really think about with Altuve this year are those big, you know, kind of season-changing home runs that he had. The the one against yeah. the Yankees towards the All-Star, I guess it was the last game yeah. uh, before, before the All-Star, All-Star break. break. And then there was one earlier in the season. But it's, I'm glad you brought it up because with runners in scoring position this year, Jose Altuve is hitting 326 with a 1036 OPS. Yeah, that that's pretty incredible too. I mean, we talk about Gurriel's numbers, but Jose Altuve's aren't too shabby either. Correa's had his share of home runs over the last few years, you know, that are game-changing, season-changing. But, you know, between those two, I, I had to pick Altuve. I mean, he is the man. He's the guy that started all this so many years ago, almost 10 years ago now. And, uh, yeah, he was my Mr. Clutch Award for the Astros Awards this year. Yeah, and if you're wondering about Carlos Correa and and what he did with runners in scoring position this year, uh, not quite the same. He's just 836, so it's about where his regular season total average is as far as OPS. So, yeah, you got to give it to Jose Altuve for those huge moments, kind of season-changing moments that he had, but also, you know, just look what he did when uh, guys were in scoring position. Just uh, fantastic stuff. But I'm glad you brought up the Clutch Award because that's a great one. Anything else you got before we take off? Well, they were just looking forward uh, to the Texans game. I just hope it's a good game. You know, as I've said, Robert, it's just any game this season that the Texans can stay in is a bonus. And and now with all the question marks with Tyrod Taylor being out, you know, and some of the other guys being out on injured reserve, it's it's going to be interesting. But you know what? It's Thursday night football. It's the only, I guess, primetime game the Texans are going to be in all season. So we, we might as well enjoy it, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, you, you get to hear what uh, the big announcers think about the Texans uh, on a bigger stage. And, you know, it, it usually doesn't go well for the Texans when they get on these big stages, but we'll see what happens. Look for our Texans post game show, though, because we're going to have that. It'll be ready for your drive to work on Friday morning. Uh, if you're not going anywhere, if you're you know still working from home, it's going to be there when you get up in the morning. Uh, can't wait for that. Uh, also, our show is brought to you by BetUS.com. There are America's favorite sports book, our favorite sports book. And when you use it, again, the promo code HST125, 125% sign up bonus on your initial $100 deposit. If you forget, look for the promo code in the show description. We put it there every single show as, a, as our sponsor continues through the football season to help our podcast. Sign up using either the BetUS link on our pinned Twitter post at the top of our page and uh, top of our Twitter page, HST Podcast is our Twitter page, or go to our website. HoustonSportsTalk.net and click on BetUS on the right side of the page. Or if you're on your mobile app, just look for the BetUS icon. You can't miss it. It's a big and colorful and beautiful icon on our HoustonSportsTalk.net website. Again, look for our Texans postgame show. But until next time, stay healthy and safe, everybody. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.